I ask you to turn to John's First John, chapter one, the epistle. Richard has been over this last month or so in December has been reading from this gospel writer's gospel, and today we encounter his first epistle, written many years perhaps after his gospel, after many years of living as a disciple and as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now as we come to his word, let's go to the Lord our God and in prayer. Father, we give you thanks that you have given us such an apostle as John and that we look forward to hearing your word through him. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to enable us not only to understand your word, but also to put it into practice. And we ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Hear now the word of God as it is written in 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The scene that I want to describe to you is a scene that took place several years ago in a Midwestern college. It was a graduation, and it was held in what was called in that university or college setting the quadrangle. Uh, some of you know what uh, when I say quadrangle, what a quadrangle is. Usually it is a square, usually of grass or uh, other kinds of beautiful green things, and then buildings all the way around that are classrooms, administration, all kinds of buildings, and it forms this beautiful square. And so it is within that square that this graduation took place. And, of course, all the graduates were there in their caps and gowns. And the professors were there as well to see their students graduate. And after the graduation had taken place and the students had been dismissed, many of them were walking around, talking, greeting one another. And the quadrangle was rather large. A group of professors was standing in the corner 
talking with one another, sort of thinking about what they were going to be doing for the summer. And um, one of the professors whose son had graduated in that class said uh, to sort of out loud, he was thinking out loud, he said, I wonder where my son is. And one of his buddies, his professor buddies, said, well, there he is right there. He's walking across the quadrangle right there at the, at the far building. And the father, professor of this son, said, how can you tell that's my son? He's too far away. I can't even see his face. The other professor said, well, he walks just like you walk. And so this son, this graduate, was known not only by his face and his words and his presence, but by the simple way he walked. He had picked that up after years and years of walking with his father, either behind him crawling as a baby or walking beside him holding his hand or walking with him into life. And so it is in a similar way in which John talks about not only his experience in this epistle, but also our experience. The one who was in the beginning as The prologue of John's gospel reminds us, John here uses that same word, the one that was in the beginning. He's referring back to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look toward 2019, it would be lovely, wouldn't it, to be able to run ahead three or four months, find out what's happening, and then turn back and begin our walk into this new year with all that information in our brains and all of those historical events yet to happen backed up so that we could know how to respond wouldn't it be lovely to be able to do that unfortunately we can't you and I know as well as the rest of the world that you can't live yesterday today and you can't live tomorrow today but Jesus is the one who determines our future he is the one as John talks about here who came to earth not only as the son of God and the man Jesus but the one who knew no limits of time put himself into time He even mentions this in John chapter 7 when the great feast was going to be planned, was planned in Jerusalem. And his brothers who didn't trust in him said, well, Jesus, why don't you go on up to Jerusalem and and let everybody see your power and recognize you and get, get all the acclaim you can get. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come. He couldn't go. Because his time had not yet come. He lived in time just like we do. That's why the scriptures say that he knows our infirmities. He knows what we feel. He knows how we have to deal with time. He later also says to the, his disciples in, in Luke, Luke's gospel chapter 12. He says, 
I have a baptism to be baptized with, and oh, I wish it were already here. He had to wait. Even on the future that he had planned. So he it is, is the one who determines our future. Hopefully, you and I will experience life with Christ like Cleopas and his buddy that's described in chapter 24 of Luke. You may remember this passage. It begins this way, saying, As Cleopas and his friend were walking and talking, they discussed the things that had recently happened. That, of course, was the death of Jesus and the reported resurrection. And it says, Jesus came up and walked along with them. Now, this was no short journey. This was probably several hours. And Jesus simply, in the midst of time, catches up with these guys and walks along with them, talking and giving them some indication that he didn't know what was really going on. And so they had to explain it all to him. But then when they sat down after inviting him to stay and he broke bread, he disappeared from their sights because they recognized him. But listen to the words Luke records in verse 32 after they had experienced this long walk with Jesus and then experienced seeing him break bread and tell them all about his messiahship. This is what they said. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. 2019 holds within it the possibility that yours and my hearts will burn as we allow and as we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we experience his loving kindness, his forgiveness, his joy in our daily walk. And he can bring that to us every day of our lives. Every minute in which we are awake and even those in which we sleep. He is the one who carries us and walks beside us into the future of 2019. Not only does he walk beside us and is the inspiration for our hope in this walk into 2019. But he also gives us companions with which to walk. Not only does he walk with us through the power of his spirit. But here John's epistle speaks of his own experience. As a disciple of Christ. That he had experienced the life of a disciple with his brothers and sisters. As Christian believers, listen to what he says here in verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I don't know about you, but I know about me. There have been some dark times in this past 2018. Darkness in many forms. You've experienced it, I'm sure. But that darkness is not God's realm. What does John say? He says, there is no darkness in our great God. He is alone the light. And this is what Jesus himself said when John was following him as a disciple, walking with him all over Judea, all over Galilee. Jesus kept saying, I am the light of the world. I am the life. Here, John expresses this so that we may know that in 2019, there will be times of darkness in our lives. But the God of light is the one who carries us through them, walks with us through them. But not only has Jesus given us his own presence as he walked, just like he walked with Cleopas and his friend to Emmaus. But he has given us each other as disciples of Christ. Each of us relating to one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who walk in his light, experiencing the forgiveness of God, experiencing this great joy of knowing that our sins are forgotten. This is what we're told in Jeremiah's gospel in the Old Testament. In chapter 31, verse 34, Jeremiah says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Our great God, this God of light in whom there is no darkness, has made a way for himself to forget our sins and to make us his children. Not only that, but Titus goes on to say in the New Testament, or Paul to Titus, writing to Titus in chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle says this, Jesus gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Can you imagine with just just a moment now that God was eager to call you into his life and resurrection through Jesus Christ? into relationship with Almighty God. He has called us into that relationship. And we are disciples one another. 
We enjoy God's blessing of discipleship. And indeed, that's what we are called to do as a church, is it not? That's in our mission. There's a great illustration of this kind of camaraderie in Genesis chapter 14. You may remember the story. Abraham had found that his nephew Lot had been taken prisoner by invading armies. And he roused all of the men born in his household along with those with whom he was confederated. Yes, uh, for those of us who still love the South and think about being confederates, that word is used in the New International Version. They were confederated with Abram. But the word or the phrase meant that they had been possessed of the covenant. The covenant that God has made with you and me is that our lives in Christ and our sins are forgiven and forgotten. He has bound us to himself in this covenant and to one another. And so in a a real way, we can say, as the scriptures translate the word, the band of brothers and sisters in Christ. We are banded together through our relationship with Jesus as his disciples. And so when one of us hurts, all of us should hurt. When one of us rejoices, all of us should rejoice. Here, the gospel writer John in his epistle reminds us that we are to walk with Jesus and to call everyone our brother and sister who is in the Lord Jesus. Not only are we to walk in God's light, that great and wonderful light of God, as Jesus did, but John goes on to say in the next chapter, if you look down at chapter 2, verse 6, he also says, whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus did. And what does he mean? Well, if you look at the life of Jesus, most of his time was spent building disciples who would build his church. He spent time with this apostle, John, his spiritual brothers and the sisters who were among them. Jesus spent day after day after day walking, talking, teaching, guiding. He spent most of his time doing this. Yes, there were great times of preaching to large crowds and feeding the hungry and healing the ill. But most of his time was used in building those 12 disciples and those who were beyond them as well. His time was spent that way. He walked. That was his walk. And so if you want to know how to make disciples, if we want to know, then we must study the life of Jesus. For making disciples is what we're called to do, is it not, as a church? Is not that what our mission says? 
that we are to build disciples. We are an extended family. But first and foremost, in our disciple making, our disciple making should take place in our homes. Parents should be discipling children. And then older children discipling younger children, siblings. This is the beginning of discipleship. It is the heart of discipleship, our families, that they reflect Jesus Christ and his disciple-making. And then it branches out beyond that into our own Sunday life groups, our missional communities in which we are part, our small group Bible studies in which we follow Jesus. We are called to be disciples walking among people who do not know him and who need to know him. There are times, unfortunately, as John points out though, when the walk can go awry. In verses 8 and 9, he says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess to God and our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a great story a classic story called John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. In that story, Christian begins his walk as a Christian. He goes through many troubles and trials. And then he gains a great friend in a man named Hopeful. And as they're traveling along the road trying to stay close to Jesus, they notice across a meadow a way that seems to be parallel to the way in which they are traveling. And that way over there looks a lot less problematic. Doesn't have as many hills and valleys and doesn't have as many obstacles. And so both he and Hopeful decide to go across Bypass Meadow and to begin walking on this new road. Unfortunately, they encounter a giant called Giant Despair whose wife's name is Diffidence. And giant despair casts Pilgrim and Hopeful into a dungeon, the dungeon of despair. And they languish there because the great giant of despair comes and abuses them physically and abuses them mentally and almost reduces them to dust, threatens them with death. And when they're at their wit's end in the midst of their despair, they begin to pray and immediately Christian Pilgrim remembers. He says, oh, I remember. And inside his pocket, he finds a key. And Hopeful says, what is the key? The key is promise. Based on the promises of Christ. Yes, You may find yourself in despair this coming year. Don't know how. Don't know when. But it may happen. 
the promise of God here in this passage is in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our waywardness, we can confess our sins to him and know that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to set us back on the right path. And so Pilgrim and Christian and Hopeful were able to use the key to unlock the dungeon gate and to return to their way. The promise is for us as disciples of Christ. The promise remains constant because our God is the God of light and the God of great promises of forgiveness and of joy in him. The question for us today in this new year about to descend upon us is how will you and I live it as we walk into this new year? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have offered to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit, a companion along the way, and that you have given us each other, even the disciple John, as a guide, as a friend, as a companion along this way. So we pray that as disciples of yours, that this church in 2019 will make many more disciples in our homes, among our business associates, among our friends and relatives and neighbors. Give us opportunities every day as we walk beside you to fulfill that call to discipleship in which Jesus walked. And we ask this for his sake. Amen.